Hey, this is Derek Wooten. I'm lead pastor of AP Church here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where our desire is to make disciples and make a difference. Thank you so much for joining us through our podcast. We pray this message speaks life and encouragement into you and what God is doing in your life. Hope you enjoy it. How many of you guys are excited to just get into the Word together? Man, we are so thankful. Every first Wednesday, we love letting the, the just, just, uh, just God-anointed voices and people come in and just deposit things into this house. And tonight, I'm so thankful this month, uh, one of my brothers in the Lord, I met him a few years ago, and we pretty much hit it off pr- pretty quickly, didn't we? Uh, and we have just become... Uh, uh, great friends and brothers in the Lord, and uh, he is an anointed, an anointed man of God. He's he's an apostolic leader. He flows in the prophetic. Uh, I'm so thankful to call him friend, but more thankful, I'm thankful to call him laborer in the kingdom. And so I'm thankful, Damaris, you're here tonight as well, but I want to take him in. I want to let you guys know how much I honor and I celebrate you and what you're doing uh, for the kingdom of God in our state, in Columbus, Ohio, and we're so thankful that we can be with you and sit under you tonight. Church, will you stand to your feet, and will you Welcome Pastor Michael Oldfield as he comes tonight to minister the word. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stay standing with me? I know some of y'all were already on the way down. They do the same thing in my church, and I've been there for three and a half years. They ought to know better. They don't. I want you to lift your hands all over the room. I want us to welcome, I should say continue to welcome the Holy Spirit in this room. Will you open your mouth and out of your own mouth, this worship team has led us into the presence of the Lord, but will you sing the song the Lord loves the most? Will you open your mouth and let your own worship come out before him? Come on, just for two minutes. Will you open your mouth and just let worship come before him to his throne? Jesus, you're worthy. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Jesus, you're worthy. You are exalted. You're magnified. Come on, press in for a minute right here. I know y'all are waiting on me to preach. I'm going to preach in a minute. Just press in right here with me for a minute. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Make us more aware of your spirit that is here. Make us more aware of the dynamic of your anointing that makes the difference. We give you thanks. Father, as we turn our attention to your word tonight, I pray that you would speak to us. And God, more than just speaking to us, I pray that we would leave here tonight with a mind to boldly apply your word. God, your word without application has no power in our life. But Lord, I pray that you would give us authority and anointing and discipline to apply your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Before you're seated, I want you to turn around and tell somebody there is an after this. There is an after this. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 4. 
Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to go through the first 15 verses tonight, but I only want to read verses 7 through 14 to begin. Read verses 7 through 14 to begin. As you're looking, I want to say what an honor it is to be here in this house again uh, with your pastors, Pastor Derek and Melissa. They are great, great friends, brothers and brother and sister in Christ, confidants, uh, and, you know, when you have pastor friends, you can, we become each other's punching bags, and that's all right. That's all right, you know. Misery loves company. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, I love this man. I love what you're building here. I love what the Lord is doing here. And uh, I'm excited for the future. I'm also excited that my wife is here with me and got to travel with me. We have three children. We only have one here tonight. Um, the other two would have had this place burnt down by the time I got done preaching. So they are at home with Meemaw, and Meemaw is keeping them tonight. In Jesus' name. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps, somebody say the gaps, the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them, and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon you. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. Somebody shout, fight. I said shout, don't mumble, fight. There you go. For your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. As I get ready to preach tonight, I want you to look at somebody and I want you to tell them we're in a fight for the future. We're in a fight for the future. In Jesus' name. I want to pontificate for a minute before I begin to break some of this down tonight. And if you'll allow me, I don't know how this is going to come out. I might preach like I'm at home. I might, I'm going to be at home either way. But I'm kind of in betwixt whether I'm going to be preacher tonight or we'll just see. I'll probably end up just preaching. How many of you understand the future is not about you? I know that's so hard for Western Christianity. The future is not about you. It's about who's coming after you. The future is about who is going to pick up what you leave. Somebody just say legacy. It's about legacy. And the enemy wants you to focus on now and make you unaware of the future. 
make you unaware of what is coming, make you unaware of the, the power that you have to leave something behind you for another generation. He wants you to focus on now, and I don't, under, I don't know if the American church fully understands that we are in a war. It's not against COVID. It's not against the Republicans or the Democrats. It's not against other churches. It's not against the government. We're not in a war against the government. We're in a war. And the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are what? Not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible also said that we wrestle not against Ephesians 6 and 12, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and things present and things to come. Now, I don't know about you, but if the devil were to take on human form, he would be a lot easier to defeat. How much easier would it be to grab the devil by his shirt collar and punch his teeth out? But that's not going to happen. You cannot swing at principalities and powers. You don't write letters to principalities and powers. You fight in the spirit. In a war that is in the spirit. And we are in a war. And what I believe God is, is, is doing is God is raising up builders. Somebody say builders. God is raising up people who are building, not for now, but for after this. There is an after this. There will be a moment when COVID is long gone. There will be a moment when the election is long gone. There is an after this. The Bible tells of a story of a man named Asa. And the Bible said that Asa built in a season of peace. And what we have to understand is so much, uh, 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 oh Lord help me, so much terrible theology has caused us to, uh, to, to call peace a time to rest. And peace is a time to sit down. And peace is a time to go to sleep. But the Bible said when the land was at peace, Asa built. And the church has mistook a season of peace for a season of rest. And we ought to understand God is looking for somebody to build. To build. And I'm building beyond me. Are you with me so far? It's going to make sense in a minute. I'm also convinced of this. People will be confident in what you believe based on what you build. Noah, God told Noah, I'm going to send a flood. And it is going to take out the entire earth, the known earth. You need to build an ark. And it's got to be like this. And Noah began to build. People said he was crazy, but they couldn't say he didn't believe what he heard. People said he was out of his mind, but they couldn't say he didn't believe. Whoever told him to build the ark, they couldn't say he didn't believe they told him. People, the earth, and this is the problem. For so long, the church has built things that we don't even believe. I'm going to preach like I'm at home, and you're responding like I'm at home. We have built things 
that we don't even believe. We have built things, and when the storms come and the issues rage, can I tell you something? There is a lot of things that we used to do pre-COVID that we don't do now because they just don't matter. They mattered before COVID, but now when the world is shaking and when the earth is under, it, uh, under a virus and when the enemy is seeking to uproot things in the land, all of a sudden the things that don't matter, you don't talk about them. You don't preach them. You don't keep doing them. You know what I found about myself when COVID came around? I went back to the foundation. And every live stream, it was as if God was saying, just preach Jesus. Just preach the blood. Just preach the cross. Preach a soon return. And now we come out of COVID and we look and we have to understand there is an after this. There is an after this. And our children, how many times have my wife and I been sitting through this? What are we going to tell our children in 10 years? My, my children are four, one, and two months. What am I going to tell them 10 years from now about 2020? We have to understand we have come into a time where I am building for the future. I am fighting. I am in a war for the future. How many times does the enemy want us to war over the idols of the past? He wants us to war over the idols of the past to keep us from looking into the future and fighting for a generation yet to be created. I want my children to start where I end, not start where I started. But it takes a fight. And the future, I want you to look at somebody and tell them this, the future is worth fighting for. The future is worth fighting for. The last thing I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to finally get into our text. To fully understand the context of Nehemiah 4, you have to go to Nehemiah 1. And the very the third verse, the very first verses of Nehemiah 1, the Bible said that Nehemiah asked of the people who would come out of bondage. How many of you know that in order to fight for the future, you have to have a passion for the people of the future? You have to have a passion for the people that are not here yet. You've got to have a passion for children that aren't even born yet. And Nehemiah said, what about the people that came out? And they told him, the walls are burned, the gates are burned. And the Bible said, Nehemiah, this is where all vision starts. This is where all building starts. Nehemiah sat down. He wept. He prayed. And he fasted. All passion, all vision starts in prayer. And if you cannot weep over it, God will not give you authority over it. If you cannot be broken over it, God will not give you authority over it. He wept, he prayed, and he fasted. And now, finally, finally, we come into Nehemiah 4. And the Bible said that Nehemiah comes in and they begin to build. How many of you understand the concept of strategy. Throw your hand up. Strategy. Do you understand that with strategy, you don't have to have a lot? If you have a strategy, God can do a lot with a little. 
the woman with the oil, God gave Elijah a strategy and Elijah only needed a little bit of oil. He said, Elijah, here's a strategy. Go get vessels. And she said, I, I don't have anything in the house except a little jar of oil. God said, go get vessels. And I'll take the little bit and I'll multiply it. Why? Because of strategy. How many of you know you need a strategy for your life? You need, I'm going to preach here in a minute. I know you're all like, come on, get with it. I am. You need a strategy for your life. I got three kids. I need a, a different strategy for each of them. My middle child does not respond to discipline the same as my oldest. I can look, you know the dad look? All the dads in the room, y'all got the dad look? Especially the grandparents. When you, grandparents, you have unlimited patience. But you know when you lose it. You got the grandparent look, right? I can give my middle child the look. She melts. Comes running, wants to be held. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm not mad at you anymore. My second, my firstborn, I give her the look and she just looks right back at me. And while we're locked eyes, she does precisely what I told her not to do. I got to have a different strategy raising my children. Although they came from the same place, they came from the same womb, they need a different strategy. I understand. I'm about to turn 30 in a couple months, uh, next month actually. I need a different strategy for years 30 through 40 than I had for 20 through 30. Come on. I need a different strategy. Some of you who are getting older and feel like you're done, no, you're not done. You need a new strategy. God's not done with you till you're done breathing. You need a new strategy. And wherever there is strategy, there is oil for the occasion. All right. So let's go to Nehemiah 4 verse 1. But it so happened when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall. That he was furious and indignant, and he mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall." Understand as they're building, the first thing that happens is they are mocked. Everybody say mocked. The word mock means to scoff, to ridicule, to speak words which disparage another as an extension of stuttering or stammering sounds. Oftentimes in society, I want to help you. Oftentimes in society, has anybody ever heard the term haters? I've got haters. Everybody's got. And the fact of the matter is, I'm going to help somebody in the room. Most people don't have haters. Most people have insecurities. And the biggest hater they have is right here, themselves. And the Lord began to deal with me because in building and especially pastoring and being, being a, a leader that wants to build for the future and a church that wants to build for the future, you are going to have to endure being mocked sometimes by yourself. Do you know how many times that my wife and I have sat down and said, what are we doing? What in the, what are we doing? We are so unqualified. We don't have all the answers. What in the world? Can anybody testify? I feel like I'm just preaching to myself and that's all right. But mock because of yourself. And, and there are very real times when haters are real people. 
There are some people that just want to mock you. They want to talk bad about everything you're doing. They want to say, speak negatively over everything you're doing. And But most of the time, all of your haters are actually right here in your insecurities. The way you talk about it, the way you speak about it. You can't do that. You're not gifted enough. You're not talented enough. You don't look the part. You don't have enough money. You don't have this all together. You can, and it's not other people. It's you. It's your insecurities. And we are scoffed by our own insecurities. And we are also scoffed by their insecurity and by their mocking. Yeah. We are. Other people do it better. Other churches have it better. Other churches do it this way. And you are mocked and the enemy will get you into a trap of comparison. He will put you in a trap of competition. And he will put you in a trap of self-criticism. I am not competing with Ambassador's Point. And Ambassador's Point is not competing with Potter's House. We are in the same kingdom. And wherever there is competition, the kingdom is not present. If there is, oh Jesus, if there is competition, let me tell you what's happening. Somebody else is fighting for his throne. When there is no competition, everybody understands there is one on the throne. There's not one church. There's not one denomination. There's not one belief system. There is one man seated on the throne, and every church is in the earth to do his will. So they were mocked. And here were the names of their mockers. The first one was Sam Ballot. His name literally means sin gives life. His name was not only to bait the people into believing something that was contrary to God's word. His name was a lie. His name was a lie. The lie that sin gives life and gives pleasure than it Longer than it does. And when you're building, there is always a temptation to fall into sin that easily besets us. When you are fighting for the future, there is nothing the enemy wants to do more than to trip you up. Somebody say yes. To trip you up. The enemy, if you want to know how he thinks, he always operates and acts opposite of the scripture. Come on. He operates and acts contrary to the scripture. The Bible said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the point of the matter is, Sam Balance showed up to attempt to stop the people and make them complacent. To make them somehow believe He's saying, Bal, it's right. What are we doing? We can't build out of this rubbish. We can't rebuild the walls out of the rubble. He's right. He's right. The temptation to believe a lie. Then the second person is Tobiah. I got a whole message on Tobiah. I can't preach it tonight. But I want to help you understand who he is. Tobiah is a critic. Somebody say critic critic. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach like I'm home, but I don't have to deal with you guys when I'm done. So, 
Well, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you tonight. He said, even if a fox goes up the wall, it will fall. It's critical. Let me help you understand something. A critical spirit is never pleased. It always expects and finds disappointment wherever it looks. If it's not one thing, it's another. It's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. It arrogantly judges. It is easily provoked. It accounts for every wrong and never carries hope of being pleased. And I would like to add a new critic to the pack. I'm going to call them the COVID critic. Because I have never seen more criticism of pastors and leaders in my life than the year 2020. Oh, churches should be open. We need to stay open. Oh, close the churches. Have guidelines. Don't have guidelines. You should have masks. You shouldn't have masks. You should lay hands on people. You shouldn't lay hands on people. And this constant bickering and criticizing the leadership that God has placed in the house. We are quiet in here tonight. And we are critics. Can I help you understand something? I go to basketball games when we were gathering. I watch basketball games from the couch. I am a, you will not find a bigger Ohio State fan. Go Bucks! Come on now. <laughs> go Bucks! You won't find a bigger Ohio State fan than right here. And I am the best at plopping myself on a recliner. In yelling at Justin Fields and telling him how to throw a football. Yeah. You go to Cavaliers games, basketball. It is always the people in the cheapest seats who are lobbing the harshest criticism at the players on the court. And what I begin to understand is that the critic always, you cannot convince them, always knows more than the person God anointed to do it. The critic always knows what's to do with the money. The critic always knows what to do with the building. The critic always knows how to do it. And they don't understand the power of spiritual authority. So Tobiah comes down and he said, even if a fox runs up the wall, it's going to fall over. He was a critic. Secondly, he was a divider. Nehemiah chapter 6, 18. Then there were many in Judah who were sworn to Tobiah. Do you understand that unity in the body is necessary to build? Necessary. If you are united, there is nothing that can stop you. God had to literally break apart the Tower of Babel because he said, if I don't, they can accomplish anything. Unity. Philippians 2 verse 2 said, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Psalm 133 and 1 said, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in what? Unity. Somebody shout unity. Unity. Can I help you understand something? Unity is not sameness. 
Unity is not sameness. Unity is the celebration of diversity. That you and I, I came from a different background than most people in this room. You came from a different background than most people in this room. But there is unity in this. We find our commonality, not in our upbringing, not in our belief system, but that at the cross of Jesus, all of our sin was washed away. Can I help you understand something? The world is looking for the truth. The world is looking for a true truth. They are sick, whoever coined the term, they're sick of fake news. They are sick of, of reading something and not knowing whether to believe it or not. And they're looking for the truth. I read in the Bible in Revelation 5 where the Bible said, and, ever, and, and, and worthy is the Lamb. They sang a new song saying, worthy is the Lamb who has redeemed us unto God by His blood. What? Out of every kindred and tribe and people and nation. Can I help you understand something? Something. The world, an atheist, an agnostic, ought to be able to walk in the church and ask themselves, who's lying? Is Fox News lying? Is CNN lying? Is mainstream media lying? Or is this church lying? Because on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, all we're seeing is black people hate white people, and white people hate black people, and all the other ethnicities hate each other. But when I come into the house of God, there are red, yellow, black, and white all Offering up praise to a God who sits on the throne. They have to ask themselves, who is lying? But that only happens when there is unity in the body. In the body. In the body. I know contrary to popular belief, especially in the next two months, you do not have to agree politically with everybody that you go to church with. Whew. You don't have to agree with everybody. There are some things that ought to be non-negotiable. But there are some things that we get so caught up on. And it, it is literally the devil's job to trip up the body into disunity. If there is no unity, there will be no building. He was a critic. He was a divider. And he carried the spirit of fear. The enemy always sends fear and anxiety into the work and into the builders to throw them off course. So there was mocking. But you have a decision. You can either be tripped up by the mocking or you can be made in the mocking. Verses 6 through 9, so we built the wall. I love it. God, I love your word. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, and the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close that they became angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So what happens when the mocking comes? Well, when the mocking comes and the pressure is added, most people, their first response is to throw in the towel and quit. This is not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not a hill to die on. I've heard that so many times. It's not a hill to die on. The pressure starts, I'm done. 
But these people, the Bible said that, that Sambalat and Tobiah and the Ammonites and the Arabs came and they said, hey, uh, when you build this wall, it's going to crumble at the first sign of trouble. And, and Nehemiah wrote in verse 6 and he said, so we built the wall. So we kept building. We kept building. How many of you understand there is a desire to quit in the human nature? There's a desire to give up when things get hard. You can talk back at me. There's a desire to give up when things get hard. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Troubled on every side. Job 3, 26, trouble came. How many of you know trouble is a part of life? I'm going to help you. Trouble is inevitable. Drama's a choice. Trouble is inevitable. Drama's a choice. You can either sit and have a pity party, or you could stand up and say, I kept building. I kept going. I picked up the sword and the hammer, and I kept building because the future was worth it. This petty little thing that tripped me up wanted to take me out and wanted to make it feel like it wasn't worth it, but I'm looking at my children. I'm looking at a generation that's yet to be created, and I'm saying that they're worth it. They're worth me getting over that offense. They're worth me getting over that bitterness. They're worth me getting over that attack. Hmm. And when opposition comes... And the enemy wants you to throw in the towel. I've got a word from the Lord. Just keep building. Just keep building. Do you want to know one of the problems in the body of Christ today? Is there are a lot of bored people and not a lot of burdened people. There's a lot of people that just start stuff because they're bored. And we got too many bored people starting stuff and not enough burdened people building things. Do you want to know why Nehemiah was able to keep building? It was because he was burdened. Can I tell you something? I preach week in and week out. Your pastor preaches week in and week out. And that is like a tenth of our job. We have to build through the week we are meeting with people we're we're planning we're vision casting and if we were bored I would have quit a long time ago but I'm looking into the future and I'm seeing children in my house children in our church and I'm saying to myself I don't want to leave them with a church in shambles I'm not bored I'm burdened they say pastor why do you scream when you preach pastor why do you get so passionate pastor why are you doing this I'm burdened you want me to be bored I'll be done I'm only keeping going because I'm burdened uh, you got people that start ministries out of rebellion because the pastor didn't give them a position and they're bored and so when the first sign of trouble comes what happened to the ministry? God told me not to do it yet. No, God never told you to do it in the first place. God never told you to start that ministry. You just got bored waiting on God to say go. And when trouble came, you folded. You weren't burdened. You were bored. I look back here at Alan Tudor. The first church I was on staff at, Alan was an elder at. And I know the mission work he's done, ministry work he's done. If he wasn't burdened, 
he would have quit. I think about people like my dad over the last 30 years has pastored in one church. Had he been bored? Because being bored ain't worth the trouble. But being burdened, you'll fight through things when you're burdened. You'll fight through people's walls when you're burdened. You'll deal with the critics when you're burdened. You'll fight through the junk when you're burdened. You'll deal with the, the people that walk away when you're burdened. And, 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 and most people don't understand burden. Burden ostracizes you. Burden separates you. Burden oftentimes isolates you. And they say, oh, they're weird. No, they're burdened. And Nehemiah couldn't quit because he was burdened. There are so many pastors who have quit. And they're still burdened. But they just couldn't handle it. And I take this moment right here from one pastor to this house. You need to pray for your pastors. The, 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 the rate that churches are closing and pastors are leaving and even committing suicide is through the roof. Why? Pastors carry a burden. A burden. I'm not bored. I'm burdened. There's a lot of times that I'm doing things for the church that I say, I wish I could be doing something else. I, I mean, I'm, can I be straight up vulnerable with you tonight? I told my church in Columbus, I can't pastor perfect people. I'm not perfect. And so if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you go find another church. And then maybe he's out there somewhere, but it's not here. There's some nights that I sit and I'm doing church things and I will say, I wish I was at home with my family. I wish I was doing this. Wish I was doing that. And people say, why don't you quit? I can't. I can't quit. If I quit, I would be doing all of those things, but I would be miserable. I would be doing all of those things, but there would be something inside of me that never let go. It's called burden. St. Balan and Tobias said, hey, whatever you build, it's going to fall down. And Nehemiah said, we just kept building. We just kept building because I was burdened. I saw the people had no walls. They had no security. The gates were burned with fire, so I just kept building. Y'all with me tonight? This is coming across a lot different than I thought it was going to. A lot different. Then he said, for the people had a mind to work. They were willing to do the work. Are you willing to do the work? Uh, no, I'm asking you tonight. It's not rhetorical. Are you willing to do the work? You want to know what will kill the call of God in your life? Somebody look at the person next to you and say, lazy. Lazy. Don't read your Bible like you ought to. Don't pray like you ought to. Don't fast like you ought to. You attend church once or twice a month. Lazy. And you got people that show up and God called me to pastor. God called me to preach. God called me to lead worship. God called me to serve in this ministry. But you're lazy. Because when the pastor asks you to show up and help clean the church, you ain't nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. I'm going to leave tonight. And I'm going to feel 
Laziness will kill the call of God. And Nehemiah said, this people, they have a mind to work. They have a mind to work. Uh, they were made by the mocking, and then they were built in the mocking. Somebody say built. Verse 7 and 8. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. I want to quickly read verses 11 through 14. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come in their midst. And kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them. I was reading this scripture last night. And this is the first time I read it like this. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came. They told us ten times. People who've got bad news like to tell you their bad news more than once. They told us ten times. After the second time, I would have said, shut up. I don't need to hear that anymore. They told us ten times from whatever place you turn. They will be on you. Thank you for that. Just staggering news report. Therefore, I position the men behind. I love Nehemiah because he wasn't moved. He wasn't moved. They said, they're going to be upon you every place you turn. And Nehemiah said, I've got a strategy for that. <laughs> yeah, i got a strategy for that. He said, therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their sword, spears, and bows. And I looked and arose and said to them, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. Somebody say fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When I was reading this in praying into it, the Lord began to deal with me because the enemy wasn't angry when the work started. The enemy got angry when the work started working. When the work became effective is when the enemy got angry. When the work worked, the enemy became incensed. And the warfare, some of you need to write this in your journal, Put it in your phone. The warfare begins when the work works. When the devil knows that you are close to breaking through, the most intense season of warfare is sure to come there. And the reason, can I help you, the reason the enemy has so much territory in the earth right now is because the church left her gaps. I need two guys to come up here real quick. Just two, two. Alan, come here. You're already ready. One more guy. Come on. Y'all come up here. I'm going to help you understand something because I'm, I believe, I want you to stand here. I want you to stand over here. I want you, I want to help you because what we're seeing right now, race riots, protests, what we're seeing right now, abortion, skyrocketing, lawlessness, skyrocketing, is because there was a moment in time in history where the church was positioned in the gap. And the church was fighting what the enemy was attempting to bring into the city, was attempting to bring into the nation. The, the church was battling in prayer.
They were battling and fasting. But somewhere along the way, we decided it would be better for the government to fill the gap. And we'll come over here and just have church. Do you want to know why we're not essential out there? We're not essential in here. We don't believe that our prayers can affect things. We don't believe that fasting can affect things. We don't believe that the word of God is true. And so we said, government, you fill the gaps. And because there are people in government who are not godly, the enemy has had his way bringing things in the gap. Abortion in the gap. Homosexuality in the gap. And I'm not just talking about a nation, but these are things that are also getting in the gap of the church. Getting in the gap of some of your homes. There is always a gap. And what has to happen is the church has to find the power that she carries essential again and tell the government, listen, you tried your best, but you don't have an answer for this. You did the best you could, but you cannot legislate morality. You tried the best you could to fix this, but there is hatred in the hearts of men, and the government cannot fix it, and the church has to come back into the gap and say, devil, you had free reign here, and now we're stepping back in, and it will not happen. From this point forward, there is a generation that is coming after me, and they will not fight what my generation had to fight. Yeah. And it's in the gap where things get messy. Things get messy. Because in one season, the devil was just bringing loads of junk all through the gap. Government was allowing it. They were passing laws to allow it. But in the next season, the church stepped in. And now the devil shows up and he's like, wait a second. This is not what I encountered the last time I came to this wall. They're carrying something different. They're not passing legislation to, to legislate morality. They are praying the kingdom of God into the earth. And I can't compete with that. And so what begins to happen, the reason the church is beginning to experience and going to continue increased experience in war fair as this year rolls on is because the church is waking up to understand that the power the Bible has talked about for history is still the same today as it was back then. And so now, listen, now the enemy comes. Pastor Derek, will you stand right here? You're not the enemy. You're the church. I'm going to be the enemy. I'll be that. Not in your house. No, I'll be the enemy. So the church is standing in the gap. And the enemy, like bringing packages, comes in and he sees the church. Now, I'm on the steps, so I'm about eye height with him. He's a terrifying man when I'm not on the steps. But he sees the church. He said, wait a minute. This is not what it used to be. And he tries to walk through here. I want you to stop me. He tries to walk through here, but wait. Wait. And then he's trying to get around here, but wait. And now he's trying to get through here, but wait. Now, now the gap is closed. Now, now there's something happening. And now all the things that used to fit through the gap 
They don't fit through the gap anymore. And there's friction here. Every time I try to get in front of him, every time I try to get around him, there's friction. There's no way on the earth that I'm getting around him. And what I have to come to understand is this is not just representing a nation. This is representing your house. This is representing your family. That there are gaps... There are gaps that have been opened in your family, maybe generational gaps that have been opened in your family. And for generations, you have struggled with self-esteem issues. You struggled your family with alcohol. You struggled with drugs. You struggled with pornography. You struggled with lust for generations. And it going to, there has to come a point in time where somebody says, I am going to fight for the future. And my mama not, may not have stood in the gap. And my father may not have stood in the gap. My grandfather may not have stood in the gap, but I certainly am going to stand in the gap. And I will endure the warfare. And I will put up with the bloody middle if it means that the future is secured for another generation. And there is a fight coming. And the fight is not going to come in pretty little flowers, the fight has come in the gap. What am I going to allow in my children's generation? Because it's not about me no more. My generation has stuff we're fighting. Now it's about what am I going to allow my children to fight? What am I going to make my children fight? And anything you're not willing to fight over, over is something you're willing to sacrifice your kids to. If you're not willing to stand up and tell the truth about abortion, we'll sacrifice an entire generation to abortion. If we're not willing to stand up and cry out for holiness and righteousness in the body of Christ again, then your children will pay the price for a dirty bride. I'm not willing to let my kids fight that fight. Not when I know what God has called me to. And not when I know what God has called them to. If you're with me, just say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. The attack, they said, we want to bring confusion. This word confusion means a disturbance, an uproar. When the work begins to work, the enemy wants to bring disturbance. But I want you to hear, again, strategy. Nehemiah said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Prayer is the first response to attack. When warfare starts, if you don't go to war on your knees, you're not warring the right way. Prayer. And it matters how we pray. Do you understand we're in a hidden war? And if you are getting your marching orders from Fox News or CNN, you're going to pray against things that God's not praying against. Do you want to know why there's still racism? Do you want to know why there's still abortion? Do you want to know why there's still orphans and widows? And do you want to know why the government is corrupt when it comes to those things? Not because of abortion, racism, orphans and widows by themselves, but because somewhere back then somebody was deceived into believing that life is not valuable. That's the root. And when you are praying seated in heavenly places, 
Jesus looks over to you and he says, I want you to pray like this. I don't want you to pray what Fox News is telling you you need to pray for. Pray like I'm praying. Prayer is the first attack. Then secondly, he said, set a watch. I mean, the word watch means to guard or observe. Some of you need to watch the gaps of your family. Some of you have teenagers. Some of you have little kids. Some of you have kids that are grown. Grandparents, you are still a gap filler for your family. Still, to this day. You fill the gaps. Set a watch. Then there was the strategy for attack. He said, I position men. How many of you understand position matters? Posture matters. The attack against many people seem more effective because of a lack of positioning. The greatest position you can be in is on your knees. On your knees. It's the greatest position you could be in. And many people have warfare in their life that is more effective against them than others because they're not on their knees fighting. They're fighting on their phones. They're fighting texting. They're fighting in their little groups. But they're not praying. They're telling everybody about their problem except for God. Prayer. Nehemiah positioned them on the parts of the wall that were vulnerable. I'll say it again. Whenever you have strategy, you got a chance to win. You have a chance to win. If you have strategy, you have the opportunity to win. So they were positioned and then they were poised. Will y'all give me five minutes? I'm not going to do the evangelist thing. I really just want like five or seven more minutes. Verse 14, he said, I looked and I arose. It said to them, do not be afraid of them. I need somebody to hear that tonight. Do not be afraid of them. Do not. I cannot tell you what is coming in the next four months. I can't. I'm believing that the church is about to see the most glorious outpouring of the Spirit that they've ever seen. And it might very well be, it might very well be in the midst of the greatest shaking the earth has ever seen. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord and fight. For I'm here to rouse up the mighty men tonight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. In order to be poised, you have to be fearless. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous and do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In Psalm 27, the psalmist said, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? When the wicked, my enemies and foes, came on me to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fell. No, a host should encamp against me. My heart will not fear. And the war rise up around me. This thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to inquire in his temple, to behold his beauty. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion, and in the secret of his tabernacle will he hide me. In Isaiah 43 and 1, the Bible said, this is what the Lord says to you, Jacob, who he created, and Israel, who he formed. Fear not, for I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overtake you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, fear 
you're not little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. In 2 Timothy 1 and 7, we know it. God has not given us a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Hebrews 13, 6, the Bible said, God is with me. Whom shall I fear? And in the midst of the fight for the future, when the devil wants a generation, when the devil wants to find a generation that he can take captive again, we must be a body who is poised and we are not afraid of the enemy. Yeah. And then he said, remember. The word remember means to recall information or events. How do you fight by remembering? You remember that if God did it one time, he can do it again. If God did it two times, he can do it three. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Can I remind you of the story in the Bible when Moses was standing at the banks of the Red Sea? And he looked one way and there's a body of water in front of him. And he turned around and looked at the other and Pharaoh's army all around him. And God said, lift up the staff in your hand. And he lifted up the staff and the Bible said an east wind came and it split the sea. And all two million people walked across on dry land. And when they got to the other side, God said, Moses, turn around and look at them. Because this is the last time that you're going to see that enemy again. And the waters came crashing down on Pharaoh. Can I remind you of the story found in Joshua when God said I don't want you to take any weapons what I want you to do is set the praisers at the front of the at the front of the line and I want you to walk around this city seven times one time a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day and on the seventh time I want you to lift up a shout and watch and see the victory of the Lord and the Bible said when they hit that seventh time they blew the trumpet and lifted their voices and shout. They didn't pick up a sword. They didn't pick up an axe. They didn't pick up a shield. They lifted up their voice and the walls came down. I'm just trying to help you remember the Lord great and awesome. And some of you need to remember how God did it before for you. Some of you need to remember when you were sick in your body and God healed you. You need to remember that you are just as lost as some of those kids out on the street breaking and burning into stores and breaking into businesses and burning cities down you need to remember you were at one time lost in darkness but thanks be unto God who delivered us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son how do you fight you remember the works of the Lord remember the works of the Lord he's awesome Isaiah 66 and 1 said, heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. How are we moved? Go ahead. How are we moved? How is the body of Christ moved? When God literally props his feet up on the earth. The earth is his footstool. Not his armrest. Is his footstool. 
The Bible said in 2 Samuel 2 and 8, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he has set the world upon them. How in this time can we be moved? When the fight is fixed, the fight for the future is fixed. As long as there is somebody to say, here I am, you can send me. Here I am, you can use me. I'm fighting a fixed fight. I stand in the gap because I can't lose. Oh, I might get hurt. I might get bruised. It might get bloody. But I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I was reading a book recently called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. No, it's not the Bible. I'm trying to make myself read. This man was a, a general in an army. He conquered more land than any general that has ever come after him. And he came from the smallest village in his country. He wrote a book called The Art of War where he talks about warfare. And if you read it through the eyes of the Spirit, you see the principles of warfare. And he said this in this book. He said, in order to kill the enemy, men must be aroused to anger. And I'm wondering, are we angry that our sons and daughters are looking for fulfillment out there instead of finding it in Jesus? Are we angry about that? Or have we just come to grips with it? You know what I've found? The Lord's been dealing with me. The amount of information that flows through this phone in front of my face every day, it can make you numb to things that ought to break you. You read things and uh, it's par for the course. But it ought to break us. There's a whole generation of young people rioting in the streets and not on their face on fire for Jesus. Are you angry? I'm not talking about angry at them. I'm not talking about angry at people. Are you mad enough at the enemy? I mean, quite frankly, are we mad enough at ourselves that we left our position in the gap and the devil has stolen a generation? So he thinks. I'm standing in a room full of people that I believe are going to rescue a generation. 
future is secure when men and women stand in the gap and say, no more devil. No more. No more. I'm not going to allow my preferences and my opinions to pull me out of the gap. God, if you want to send the homeless to this house, send them. Stinking, covered in dirt, send them. God, if you want to send the teenagers, porn addicted, lust filled, lesbian, gay, trans, transgender, you want to send them here? God, send them here. Yeah? Because that's what the future looks like. It looks like a bunch of young people who were one way. And because a church stood up and said, I'm fighting for the future. They could come into this house and encounter Jesus and leave different than they came in. Verse 15 concludes, stand to your feet. He said, and it happened when our enemies heard what was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. God is bringing the plot of the enemy to nothing over this house. Hear the word of the Lord. God is bringing the plot of the enemy to nothing over this house. Yeah. And I cannot stress to you enough the type of decision that needs to be made in this house. You're not fighting for you. You're fighting for them. You're not fighting to make your life better. You're fighting for them. Spiritually, physically, you're fighting for them. I want to read a prophetic word over you and then I'm going to stop. I'm going to say one more thing I'm going to stop. I want you to put your hands out like you're about to receive something. I'm going to quote it because I know it. It was released in Atlanta, Georgia in an upper room gathering that I was a part of by an Arab man. And he said this, the end time army is a family with his presence. God is not raising up generals, but fathers and mothers. God is not raising up soldiers, but sons and daughters. God is not releasing weapons, but his presence. Father, I thank you in this house that an end-time army of families are getting ready to emerge. Fathers and mothers, sons and daughters who host his presence. There's a story in Judges 3 of a man named Ehud. A whole generation had been lost. They didn't know the Lord. Yeah, keep your hands just like that. They didn't know the Lord. Ehud, the left-handed deliverer, walked into the king's chambers. 
to King Eglon, who the Bible said was a very fat man. And he pulled. Most people in that time were right-handed, so their daggers were on their left thigh. And you would think you're not getting into the king's chamber unless you're patted down. And when they went to pat him down, they probably patted down his left leg. But they didn't know his weapon was on his right leg. Left-handedness in that day was a disablement. They were the minority. Even today, only 10% of people are left-handed. Ehud took out his blade and he shoved it into Eglon's stomach to the hilt. And Eglon died. Ehud went back to the people and he said, follow me for today the enemy has been given into your hand. And in verse 30 of Judges 3, the Bible said the land had rest for 80 years. And this is a prophetic word I want to release over this house. Only for the people who are going to stand in the gap and fight. And let's do this. If you say, I'm standing in the gap and I'm going to fight for the future, I want you to lift up both hands. I'm going to fight for the future. I got a prophetic word for you. The Bible said the land had rest for 80 years. A generation, according to people, is 20 to 30 years. Which means because Ehud killed that king, there was generational rest for two to four generations. And I hear the word of the Lord over this house. For those who will stand in the gap and fight, there is a generational rest that is coming to your family. Your generations after you will not have to fight what you have fought and what you are fighting. God is giving honor to the ones who will stand in the gap. I'm in a fight for the future. And here's how we're going to fight tonight with those hands raised. I want you to begin to intercede for this generation. Come on. Some of you grandmamas and grandfathers, you've got children that are lost. grandchildren who are lost Nehemiah heard their threatenings and he said we made our prayer to God and God brought the plot of the enemy to nothing come on just, just two minutes right here open your mouth and war Rosa precamba de dianzo reketariat supaya. We're standing in the gap tonight. Come on. We're standing in the gap tonight. And when the enemy comes looking to find politics and looking to find legislation, he is going to find an army of God's people. Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, full of the Holy Ghost and power. We're standing in the gap tonight. No more devil. No more devil. No more devil. Get your hands off of our sons and daughters. Release your hands off of our sons and daughters.
This is for a generation that is yet to be created, that they will praise the Lord. Holy Spirit, you're releasing your presence. You're releasing your presence. Not weapons, but your presence. Not guns and swords and shields, but your presence. Your word, prayer and fasting. 